Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. Well, good morning. I want to thank you guys for joining us today. This is going to look a little bit different. It's going to feel a lot different than anything we've done over the last, goodness, uh, four months. Because um, I'm all you've got today, and, and I'm not much of a singer. So maybe after we're finished, uh, some, some YouTube videos of your favorite worship song maybe is, is in order. But, uh, but I'm, I'm all we've got today. Um, I did have a worship song in my mind, though, as I kind of grappled with what today was, was going to look like. It's an old Matt Redmond song. Uh, old, it's not that old, but, uh, but it is, uh, it's not one of the newer songs. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, because a song in itself, that, that's not what you've required. You search much deeper within, and through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. It's not exactly what I had in mind for our worship time today, but I think it's important because today is a day that everything is stripped away. Uh, we have no musicians in the room. We have no congregants in the room, no technicians in the room. Today, everything's gone. It's just me and you at home. I've, I've said it over and over again. We've had some, some rock-solid, faithful men and women who have made tremendous sacrifices for the last four months. They've met on Wednesdays for practice. They've come early every single Sunday. They've come for practice on Saturdays when we've tried to do the outdoor worship services. When everybody else got to stay at home, they made it to church to make sure that folks got a full-blown worship service at home. During this whole time, they've had to give up worshiping with their families. Easter Sunday, their families were not in the room. On Mother's Day and to some extent Father's Day, they weren't able to gather with their families. But it looks like COVID got a little too close for comfort uh, this week. Our Wednesday night, our worship team had potential exposure. And so out of an abundance of caution, I asked them all to, to stay home enjoy time with family, and enjoy, uh, make the most of what they can, and hopefully, Lord willing, nobody comes up sick. Uh, I do want to reiterate today, this thing is not a joke. I understand that there's politics and, and different opinions that abound, but, but it's not a joke. People are dying. People are getting sick. We need to give it the seriousness that it deserves. And I would reiterate, when we do come back, if you're not feeling great, stay home. If you've been around somebody who has had the virus, had symptoms, stay home. Uh, I think that's important. I think that's how we love not just our neighbor outside, but our neighbor inside the body as well. 
So, so I won't lie, this is a pretty low moment for me. I could, I could pretend this is okay. I could smile and, and look at the camera and, and, and treat this like any of the other weeks that we've been doing this. Any other weeks that the room has been somewhat cavernous. But I need you to know this is not okay. This whole thing, it's not okay. God has built us not to be islands to ourselves, not to sit at home and watch a television screen. God has built us for one another. So today, my, my heart hurts. My heart hurts for, for churches that aren't meeting. Some of our larger churches have announced that they're not coming back for face-to-face -face worship until next year. My heart hurts for the church today. My, my heart hurts for, for churches that, that have had to make tough decisions. My heart hurts for churches where they've been catalysts for super-spreading events. My heart hurts for the 50% of professing believers who haven't even turned on an online service in the last four months. My heart hurts today for those families who are nursing sick loved ones who are wondering if and when this will enter their lungs. So I would ask you today that, that you pray for one another, that we pray for each other, that we pray for our families, and then we pray for our church, that God would give us grace and patience for the day when all, regardless of age, can come together to worship him. As I've wrestled with, with some of the, the significance of, of what the day means, I, I was drawn towards J.I. Packer's words. You may have heard that, that Packer, um, famous theologian, the author, he passed away this week. But he said this one in, in, one, of his, in one of his books. To, Throughout the Bible, he says, the knowledge that God is in total control is presented to us as a certainty that is enormously encouraging and supportive. It means that we can totally trust him to fulfill his promises and to achieve his purposes, to watch over his own people, keeping them safe through this life and carrying them home at last. And to glorify himself by glorifying his son as Savior and head of the church, both in its present pilgrimage on earth and its final heavenly glory. I think it's a good time for us to be reminded that particularly as we continue to endure the unique challenges brought on by this pandemic, that God still maintains control of his creation. Regardless of the chaos, the confusion, the misinformation, the divisiveness, the derision that we find all around us, we need to remember that God hasn't been caught off guard not one single time through this entire process. And through this, just like through all seasons of suffering, he wants to teach us, he wants to mold us into his image, and to see his kingdom made known to the ends of the earth. I would ask you to join me at home as we pray together before we spend time in the scriptures. God, I want to thank you for the means to gather today 
with no, no, no trappings of what our normal worship might look like, no musicians, no songs. Just time in the Word of God, time to pray, time together in our living rooms and around our phones and televisions to consider the Word of God, to consider the blessings that come from being pure in heart. We ask these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we are continuing our walk through the Sermon on the Mount, focusing on these introductory comments that Jesus has made. We call them the Beatitudes found there in Matthew chapter 5. You know, much to my wife's chagrin, I, I'm not a huge fan of, of Disney World. In fact, and I think she would agree, I can get somewhat curmudgeonly about the whole experience. If you don't know what curmudgeonly is, that, I'd look that word up. It's a good one. I, I, I make these statements. It, it costs too much money. The, the lines are too long. The crowds are too thick. The temperature's too high. Their politics are too left. Uh, however, in spite of my general feelings, there are some rides and experiences that, that I've always enjoyed. Now, don't tell anybody this. One of my all-time favorite rides was the, the great movie ride. Sadly, it closed just a couple of years ago. Uh, in, in the great movie ride, you climb into this big train that drives you through larger-than-life scenes from some classic movies like The Wizard of Oz and Casablanca and Raiders of the Lost Ark. The catch on the ride, however, is, is that the guides on the trains are actually part of the show. The, the first time you ever rode the great movie ride, you may not have known this, but, but it was such a treat. It was so unnerving when, when your guide got off the cart the, and started interacting with the characters in the movies. See, when you get on the ride, you think they're just like the other countless ride operators, but they're actually actors ready to make the experience that much better. This morning as we move into our next beatitude, we'll, we'll find that this beatitude continues a very invasive surgery of our souls. But in order to think about it, I want us to keep the idea of an actor in mind as we progress through our time today. Today, in this invasive surgery of the Beatitudes, we find that the Lord Jesus Christ is challenging our loyalties, asking us to consider whether we're sincere in our faith or just actors on a stage simply wearing a mask. If you've got your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 5, let's recap from the beginning of Jesus' words in the Beatitudes and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, it's no secret 
that the Bible is very much concerned with our hearts. Now, we needn't be so literal that we read this the same way a cardiologist would read this. The Bible recognizes that the heart is the, the seat of our entire personality. However, the Bible considers the human heart to be a very dangerous place. Matthew chapter 5, uh, further in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. The prophet Jeremiah in 17 verse 9 of his book, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? One Russian novelist, he said it this way, I, I don't know what the heart of a bad man is like, but I do know what the heart of a good man is like, and it is terrible. And, and this heart is what beats within each and every single one of us. So, so we have this, this terrible diagnosis. If we were at a cardiologist, he would look at us and say, you need surgery. Your heart is very sick. And on paper, it sounds like we are in very serious trouble. And it's compounded by the fact that, well, human beings happen to be very excellent actors. You see, what's visible to everyone else isn't always a great representation of, of what's going on in here. Religious folks are especially uh, adept at this. People who put on a good mask when other people are watching, but really the mask is simply covering that which is dark on the inside. A couple of weeks ago, I was at the grocery store, and I had my face covering on, and had on a baseball cap, and so I was, I was well disguised. And I saw one of our church members at the checkout line. I decided to try something. I made eye contact. I, I smiled, but you can't see a smile through a mask. Hopefully, your eyes smile, and still nothing, uh, still nothing. I, I spoke, and he seemed curious but still not completely sure. Then, then I lifted my cap, and something about what's under my cap was distinctive, and he realized it was me. But in order for him to recognize the true me, I had to take off part of the mask that I was wearing. Over in Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, Jesus warned the religious people of his day, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. I think you can identify what Jesus is, is saying here. A couple of years ago, we went to Washington, D.C. right before Christmas. We took a little family trip, and, and part of our itinerary was to go to the Arlington National Cemetery. If you've never been to Arlington, you're truly missing something special. It's, it's worth a trip just to go see Arlington. And the grounds, as you can imagine, were meticulous. And at that time of year, a nonprofit organization had placed evergreen wreaths on every single grave. Watching the guards at the, the Tomb of the Unknowns shows an honor that, that can't be described unless you actually go and see it. On the surface, there was a, a surreal 
a surreal form of beauty. However, underneath all of that beauty and honor, the reality is, is caskets and urns that were filled with nothing but death and decay. You know, you can walk through a national cemetery and, and you can feel awe. But if you were to unearth all the graves and open the caskets, you'd be overwhelmed with disgust. And that's what Jesus is saying about the Pharisees here. It's a, it's a grotesque statement, but it's a bold statement. And that's exactly how Jesus deals with the reality of a religious exterior covering an irreligious heart. We all know people like this, right? It's easy to, to point fingers. We may have names and faces running through our mind as we consider this picture. But if we're honest, if we look in the mirror, we're probably going to find that we too are like this, perhaps more than we care to acknowledge. We need desperately today to understand external purity is no substitute for an internal heart that is pure. We also need to recognize something very important that Jesus is teaching here, and the Bible teaches it as a, as a whole. It's, a, it's affirmed throughout the scriptures that purity of heart is a prerequisite to having fellowship with God. The psalmist said in Psalm 24, David, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Who can be in the presence of God, David says. And he says this, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who, who does not lift his soul to what is false, who does not swear deceitfully. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, make every effort to be holy, for without holiness, no one will see the Lord. If you're paying attention, you should start to see a, a pattern you should start to recognize that, that we have a very serious problem. For if I am to see God, I must be pure in heart. If I am to stand in this holy place, as David said, then, then I should have a, a clean heart. If I'm to see the Lord, then I must be holy. And here's the problem. None of us pass the test. Not one of us can, can make that declaration. None of us come up clean. We may follow all the rules, but we know, in spite of our perfect record, that we're not pure on the inside. D.A. Carson said it this way, This beatitude interrogates us with awkward questions like these. What do you think about when your mind slips into neutral? How much sympathy do you have for deception, no matter how skillful? For shady humor, no matter how funny? To what do you pay constant allegiance? What do you want more than anything else? What and whom do you love? To what extent are your actions and words accurate reflections of what is in your heart? To what extent do your actions and words constitute a cover-up for what is in your heart? And we may answer some of these questions correctly, but none of us, none of us get a perfect score. So 
does this beatitude mean that it's simply too great a demand from the Lord that that we can't reach it? It's a it's a goal too far to reach. We're in quite a dilemma if that's the end of the story. You know, the Old Testament prophets recognized our great dilemma long before Jesus began to preach on the mountainside that day. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. From all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules and of course Jeremiah in the new covenant spoke of this he says for in, in Jeremiah 31 verse 33 for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days declares the Lord I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each brother saying know the Lord for they shall know me from the least to the greatest declares the Lord for I will remember their iniquity or for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This leads us to make a couple of very important conclusions. We cannot purify our hearts on our own. And it is the, the grace of God that accomplishes that purification through the finished work of Christ when he takes out our hard heart and gives us a heart of flesh, when he, when he gives us a clean heart when we are sprinkled clean. So if we're to have pure hearts, if we want to see God as the beatitude promises, then we must have a new heart. And we must, as Jesus said, be born again. And if we have been born again, then we must constantly cast ourselves upon his grace and ask him to nourish within us a clean heart. And David understood this even as he recovered from his disastrous moral failure with Bathsheba. He prayed in that public repentance, Psalm 51. He said, create in me a clean heart. Oh God, renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. You know, there's, there's two types of people listening today. There's only two in this category. Those who have been born again and those who have not. If you have not been born again by placing your faith and trust in Jesus as Lord, then you need to listen to me and hear me very carefully. You have zero chance of getting this right on your own. You have no chance to nail this. Your works will not save you. Your attitude will not rescue you. Your list of, of good deeds will not accomplish it. You stand condemned with a heart of darkness, unable to behold the marvelous light of a holy God. You need right now, more than anything in this world, to cast yourself upon the Lord, to ask Him to save you, and ask Him to grant you a new heart. He's already done all the work 
necessary. All that's left is for you to place your trust in Jesus Christ, to call on Him as Savior and Lord. If you have been born again, then we need to make sure that we are working towards cultivating that clean heart. We need to be able to diagnose the presence of an impure heart. You know, the clearest indicator of a heart that is impure is the presence of deceit. Now, I'm not talking about being a liar, although being a liar is certainly uh, would, would qualify. I am talking about what we see as a disconnection between our inner self and our outer self. And the reason that there is so often that disconnect is, is because we are trying to deceive God. We're trying to deceive our fellow man. We may even be trying to deceive ourselves. Back in Psalm 24 again, who can stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. The characteristic of one with a pure heart is one who does not lift his soul to what is false, who does not swear deceitfully. And when our outside self, when our outside world, when our outside actions looks differently than our inside self, when we go back to the test that Carson gave us and we fail that test, when we see the disconnect between the two, when our words are a mask for our thoughts and motives, when our actions are a mask for what our true desires are, then we are dwelling in deceit. We are attempting to deceive both God and man. So if you are in that kind of pattern of deceit, then it's time for you to take a serious look at your heart and let the scalpel of this beatitude do its work. For the Christian to cultivate that heart of purity, to cultivate that idea of being able to see the Lord, there's some things we need to consider. First, we need to be absolutely honest with God about our heart's condition. He already knows. So if we are dwelling in deceit and our, our words and our actions mask a darker inside, he already knows. We've got to stop pretending. Stop acting like everything is okay. Stop hiding the sin, the urges, and the folly and be honest before the Lord. Fall on our faces before the Lord and confess that, that sin of the inner man. He already knows. He wants you to recognize the, the true condition of your heart. The fact of the matter is, is you won't make steps towards growth without honesty. Secondly, we have to acknowledge that it is only God who can make our hearts pure. We can't do it. It's not within us. And that doesn't imply that we just sit back and do nothing, prop our feet up and wait for the Lord to do a work in our life because we need to understand that while we work, He is working in us. Paul tells us that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. He's not suggesting that salvation is based upon our works, but he is suggesting that we should be putting forth effort while God puts forth effort in us. God wants to see us working and striving and, 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 and pressing forward towards the goal, not waiting for the goal to simply get to us. 
Thirdly, we need to fill ourselves with the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this, For the Word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the hearts, or discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, when we've got ourselves deceived, the Word of God helps to expose that deception. You may have yourself deceived, but when you open the Word of God and you're confronted with its precepts, when scalpels like this beatitude are brought forward to do spiritual surgery, we recognize the reality of what's on the inside, and that only comes from immersion in the Word of God. Sadly, we live in a day and time where more people have more access to the Word of God and more templates and, or more formats, more media, more opportunity. You, if you can't get your hands on the Word of God today, you haven't made any effort. Yet we also find that we're living in a day and time where many Christians will only open their Bible on Sundays when their Sunday school teacher or their preacher asks them to. When, when many people who claim to follow Christ spend more time on their social media feeds than they spend in the Word of God, spend more time consuming local news than they spend consuming the Word of God. But it is only the Word of God that works as that spiritual scalpel to our souls. You can't hide from it. Immerse yourself in it. Finally, as we work on cultivating a heart of purity, Meditate on what you will be in eternity. 1 John chapter 3, verse 3 tells us that Christian hope is a purifying reality. I mean, consider the glories of heaven, the magnificence of a new creation. Consider yourself in the presence of the Almighty. And I can assure you it will motivate you to, to clean up on this side of eternity as well. What's the blessing? Jesus says that if we have pure hearts, that we will, we will see God. And that's not a, a future-looking vision. That's an ongoing vision. You say, preacher, I, I've never seen the Lord. Does that mean I've never had a pure heart? That's not what we're talking about exactly. Now, we certainly understand there is an ultimate seeing. Sandy Patty song, sang about it. Oh, we shall behold him, we shall behold him face to face in all of his glory. We shall behold him, yes, we shall behold him face to face, our Savior and Lord. There is coming a day that we will see the Lord, and in the first second of laying our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, it will surpass more joy than anything we've ever experienced this side of eternity. Seeing him in all of his glory will be the ultimate payoff for walking with him through our lives. We shall see him face to face. To face. But there's more. Because again, the promise is not just a future vision, it's an ongoing vision. Helen Keller was once asked, Isn't it terrible to be blind? And she said, It's better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. We need to understand that that even though we can't behold him in the fullness of his glory, that we can see God at work in this life as well. 
We see him manifest his glory in creation. Uh, maybe you've seen the comet that has been in our skies in the last few days. Maybe you've beheld the sunset over the mountains and you've just thought about the majesty and wonder of God. You, you see him manifest himself in the wisdom of his word. As you open its pages and read its words, you find that the wisdom of God is so profound and you recognize that you can never mind the depths of the wisdom of God. You ought to see him manifest himself in the compassion and love that's shown among his people. The church ought to be a place where, where the manifest love of God is made clear in, in the love that's shared. We should be able to even see him in the midst of our difficulties and trials as he seeks to, in, to teach us, to grow us, to refine us. And so as we cultivate the purity of heart, we ought to find that we see him more and more on this side of eternity as we long for and prepare for seeing him on the next. For those who possess a, a single-minded devotion to Christ, for those who show mercy, for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for the meek, for the mourners, for the pure in spirit, for the poor in spirit, I can promise you that those folks today are much closer to seeing the Lord than they are to missing him. If you're someone today whose heart is far from pure, and maybe you've not given your life yet to Christ, I would like to give you the opportunity. Obviously, in this format, responding is not an act in which you can physically come down and, and chat with me, but there is a way that you can let me know that you'd like to further that conversation. Just send an email to respond, R-E-S-P-O-N-D, at cvbchurch.org. Just say in the email, Pastor, I'd like a chance to know what it means to follow Jesus, to have my heart transplanted from an impure heart to one that's given to me from on high. I'd love to have that opportunity to chat with you this week about what it means to put your, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I want to thank you for the surgeon known as the Beatitudes that seeks to dig deep into the recesses of our hearts and to expose us and to challenge us, to rebuke us, indeed even to call us to place our faith and trust in Christ. Lord, in these difficult days, may we continue to work to cultivate a heart of purity even as you continue to work within us. And Lord, may we Look for you in the difficult seasons of our life inasmuch as we look for you in the triumphs. Or may you grant us the opportunity certainly to see you in eternity, but to see your hand at work in our lives today. We thank you for your goodness. We cast ourselves upon your grace. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.